I want you to join me today in the seventh chapter of Luke. The seventh chapter of Luke. And right as we begin, I'm going to give you the question for the time that we spend in God's Word today. Are you ready for it? Are we geared by love or legalism? What are we geared by? We hear the term legalism as a concept or a word thrown around in churches regularly. Interestingly, it's not a word used in the Bible, though. You're not, you're not going to read through the Bible and find the word legalism, though certainly the, the spirit of legalism is present. If you doubt that, read Galatians. It's what the entire epistle is about, the spirit of legalism. Historically speaking... Legalism is not even attached to Christianity originally. If you go back and study, you'll actually find that legalism is an ancient philosophical system developed in China. In the 200s BC, a Chinese philosopher developed this system of thinking that in their tongue would be translated to us legalism and it was a response to what was going on in China at the time there was a lot of war a lot of fighting between the different regions of China civil war within the country and this philosopher basically came up with, with their belief of legalism as a response to all of that, a way to control it, a way to control man's impulses and, and behavior. And so when the Qin dynasty came to rule later on in the 200s BC, they adopted legalism as the official philosophy or, or religion, really, of China. Every other philosophical system of thought was outlawed. In fact, anyone who taught, believed, or followed one of the other philosophical systems that had been developed in the ancient East was executed. Every other philosophical system was outlawed, but this system of legalism and the system's teaching focuses on this idea that man is inherently evil which by the way is true but the answer for it in their minds was a code of law with severe punishments to swerve man's natural inclinations and interestingly, legalism within religion looks very similar with a more seemingly spiritual focus. The focus of legalism in religion is 
salvation or spirituality, spiritual maturity through law righteousness or self-righteousness. A modern-day contemporary pastor who pastors in Canada tells a story of a friend of his who visited the Netherlands to share the gospel with the Dutch people, and he became friends with many of the Christians who were already there. And he was amazed to find out how distressed Dutch Christians were at the state of American Christians. They spoke with him about their concern about how uh, the style of dress and even the fact that American Christian women wear makeup. They felt that this was a worldly sin that had crept into the church and they would never let the world impact them that way, nor they apply makeup the way Americans do. But this pastor's friend was amazed at how upsetting this was to the Dutch Christians, especially as he saw the Dutch Christians cry tears of sadness over this. He watched as the tears ran down their face, dripped off the edge of the nose, right into their beer and over the top of their cigarettes as they lamented the worldliness of American Christians. Am I denying that there is worldliness among believers? No. But it, what's very unfortunate is the the mixture of worldliness with a spirit of legalism. A spirit of self-righteousness or being pleasing to God through some level of law righteousness. And as we come to Luke chapter 7 today, we learn a very important truth. And friends, listen to me very carefully. Love and legalism cannot live in the same space. You say, Pastor, that's a, that's a pretty strong statement. It is, but it's true. Love and legalism cannot live in the same space. Love for God and legalism can't live in the same space. Love for others and legalism cannot operate in the same space. And I believe with all my heart that if you and I are going to be all that God calls us to be, if we're going to love him and love others the way that he desires us to, we need to come to grips with this truth. And we need to answer honestly, what is it we are geared by? Love or legalism? How do we measure spirituality, spiritual maturity? How do we look at others, Christian or not? Are we guilty of passing judgment on others, looking down our nose at others based on their lives? 
In Luke 6, 7, 36 through 50, this account demonstrates two people, one who loved and one who practiced legalism. And the response of Jesus demonstrates his view of them. And I believe the difference between love and legalism is seen in the response to three realities in the text. And as we identify them, we seek to determine whether we are geared toward or by love or legalism. We should be geared toward or by love. But if legalism exists, friends, that is not something to just throw up our hands and our shoulders about. That is a sin to be repented of and treated as such. Look, if you would, at Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse number 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he, Jesus, said unto him, Simon, thou hast judged Rightly, thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which were many are forgiven, for she hath loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Let's look at the response to these three realities in the text to determine 
if we are geared toward or by love or legalism. Start here, first of all, with the response to service. As Jesus came to this meal at Simon the Pharisee's house, aren't you thankful that Jesus turns no one away? Earlier in the Gospels, and often in the Gospels, we focus on this reality that Jesus associates with sinners. And remember, Jesus associates with sinners not to participate in their sin, but to open the floodgates of God's mercy to sinners. Aren't you thankful for that? But even when the Pharisee came calling... After so many of them have started antagonizing Jesus and opposing him in his Jesus didn't reject the Pharisee. He went to the Pharisee's house. There in the banquet hall, often which was an open courtyard in the homes which allowed uh, people from the community to just come in and go as they pleased, Jesus was lounging there at the dinner table. Remember, they didn't sit in chairs like we do around a dinner table. They lounged usually on a pillow with their, their face and arms toward the table and their feet outstretched behind them. It was a low sitting table. And so you can imagine Jesus and his disciples come up to the table. They lounge likely on their left arm and eat with their right as their feet are outstretched behind them. And here comes this woman. This woman of, of, the, of the city. Many would even call her a woman of the streets. The Bible specifically says she was a sinner. I could say that about any one of us, including myself. But the idea here is that she was a notable sinner. She was a notorious sinner. Many take that to, to imply that likely she was a prostitute. And she came in and with tears running down her face anointed the feet of Jesus dried his feet with her hair kissed his feet over and over again. And how did Simon respond? Oh, if if Jesus knew who this is and what kind of person she is, surely he would not let this behavior continue. Why, why Simon invited Jesus to his home for a meal cannot be determined from the text. And yet, as they sit at the table and Simon begins thinking this way in his heart, Jesus called Simon's attention to the contrast between himself and the woman. Simon offered Jesus no water for his feet. This was a traditional, hospitable practice in a culture where man, men wore sandals and the terrain was dusty. It was common for a host 
to offer his guests water to wash their feet, but Simon made no such offer to Jesus. He did not do what would have been considered the bare minimum of a gracious host to his guests. And yet this woman, whom Simon was quick to judge and condemn, washed Jesus' feet with tears and dried them with her hair. Simon did not kiss Jesus. Now, I could be wrong, but I dare say that you did not greet one another with a kiss this morning. Maybe your spouse. But you didn't come into church this morning and greet the greeter at one of the doors and lean in for a kiss on the cheek. Anybody do that this morning? I didn't think so. We don't do that in our culture, but that was customary in theirs. It was normal to meet a friend with this kiss. It, it symbolized friendship. And yet Simon made no such gesture of friendship toward Jesus. But in contrast, this woman continually kissed Jesus' feet. The action likely appalled everyone, including Simon. If she was in fact a prostitute those sitting around the table could have even thought that this was some immoral approach Simon did not anoint Jesus with oil this was not as common of a practice but anointing with oil symbolized an expression of honor of deep honor and Simon did not offer that to Jesus, yet this woman anointed Jesus' feet with this ointment. What made the difference between this woman and Simon? Here it is simply, love made the difference. One, prompted by a legalistic spirit, looked on the other, motivated by a loving heart, and judged unjustly. From what we see in the text, what does service motivated by love look like? I want you to see this. First of all, it is humble, unselfish, and Savior-focused. When this woman came into the banquet hall, she came humbly unselfishly focused on the Savior. The woman in coming to Jesus in this way bucked many customs and even standards of propriety to enter the banqueting area, which was reserved for men. This wasn't a place for women in that culture in that day to let down her hair and even to kiss Jesus' feet could all be misconstrued and misunderstood. And they were. Simon certainly was not the only one around that table who looked on this woman the way that he did, misconstrued what she did, misunderstood what she did, and judged her accordingly. But Jesus did not. Her service was humble. It was unselfish. It was Savior-focused. Notice this. It was reckless. She cared nothing for herself. She only desired to give what she could to one she loved so well. 
it was unreserved, generous, and sacrificial. The ointment is not identified uh, for its value or sentiment like the ointment that Mary of Bethany poured out on Jesus in John's gospel. There, the Bible specifically identifies the value of the ointment. That's not true here, but likely. She possessed and carried the best that she could. Women in that culture did not spray on perfumes the way that, that women or, or men do with cologne, perfume for men, do in our culture. Women of that culture would carry that perfume, that ointment, in a bottle with a long neck. They would wear it like a necklace around their neck. And it was so much a part of their wardrobe that on the Sabbath day, when it was against custom to do other things, a woman was allowed the privilege of putting this on along with her normal clothing. And likely the women of the day carried the very best that they could. They, they got the best that they could. This woman took that box of her ointment broke the long neck so it was unusable to her anymore and poured it out on Jesus. It identified a sacrifice of worth and meaning. She not only gave what she had, she literally was giving herself. But how did the legalist in the room respond? Simon, rather than being encouraged and inspired to serve, analyzed and criticized her service. He saw her actions, misjudged her intentions, and blew off her service. This is the difference between love and legalism. Can I ask you this morning, are you involved in service or criticism? Are you more likely to jump into serving or into judging those who are serving? Are you more likely to participate actively in worship or to criticize what is going on in worship? The answer to that question may reveal whether you are guided by love or legalism. Notice, secondly, not only the response to service, but what about the response to sinners? There's a two-part contrast here. A contrast between Simon and the woman, and then a contrast between Simon and Jesus. Let's start with the contrast between Simon and the woman. The main issue at play here is the response to sin. Jesus, as he knows the thoughts of Simon's heart brings a parable to Simon's attention. It's very reminiscent of how Nathan the prophet approached David after David's sin with Bathsheba. Remember, Nathan doesn't walk in and say, hey, David, you're an adulterer. Nathan walks in and says, hey, king, I've got this story to share with you about someone nearby, a rich guy who, who stole his his poor neighbor's lamb who was like a pet to their family and, and used that to serve as guests. And David says, off with his head! And then Nathan says, you're the man. In a very similar way, Jesus brings 
Simon's problem to his attention through this parable. And what does the parable identify? We read it and we go, okay, there's two debtors and one owes 500 pence, about, about 500 days of average income. The other owes 50 pence and the, the creditor forgives them both and, and the one who owed more is clearly going to be more thankful and love more than the one who owed less. And, and we see it from that perspective, but I want you to see deeper than that. I want you to see what Jesus implies by the parable. Would you notice that Jesus implies this, that everyone is a sinner? Friends, it doesn't matter how much sin you've accumulated throughout your lifetime and how easy it is for me to look at somebody else and say, well, you know, I've only accumulated a suitcase worth of sin. They've accumulated like a barge load of sin. Can I, can I remind you today, it doesn't matter how much of sinner you are how, how much sin does it take to make someone a sinner you say, pastor i'm not real sure okay well go back to the garden of eden how much sin did it take to make adam and eve a sinner they only had to disobey god in one point and sin came into the world and death by sin right with one act of disobedience, Adam and Eve plunged into sin, plunged into guilt and shame, plunged into the, the possibility of eternal separation from God with one sin. Jesus implies everyone is a sinner. Jesus also implies this, everyone is a debtor to God's justice and judgment. It doesn't matter how much debt you've racked up. If you're a sinner, and it only takes one sin to make you a sinner, you owe a debt to God's justice and judgment. And then Jesus implies this, everyone is in need of the grace of Jesus in redemption. Even the debtor who, who owed 50 pence, a tenth of what the other debtor owed, still needed grace in redemption still needed that forgiveness the major difference listen to me carefully the major difference between Simon and the woman was not the amount of sin it was the awareness of it do you get that the major difference between the woman a known sinner Possibly a prostitute of the city. And Simon, a Pharisee who, who lived and walked according to the law of God. The major difference between them was not the amounts of sin they had committed. The difference between them was the awareness of their sin. The woman was a known sinner. A notorious sinner. Maybe a prostitute. But she was aware of her sin. 
Simon was a Pharisee who tried to walk according to the law of God, and yet it only takes one act of disobedience, one sin to make a person a sinner, and he wasn't even aware of it. The problem with Simon's response was his blindness. He was blind to the implications of Jesus' parable. He was a sinner. He was a debtor to God's justice and judgment. He needed the grace of Jesus for redemption. But his legalism caused him to be blind to his own while very aware of sin in the lives of others. Can I ask you today, what is your focus in relation to sin? Is the amount of sin in someone else's life of greater concern than the awareness of sin in your own heart? Are you more bothered? Are you more irritated by, worked up over the amount of sin in the community around you or the awareness of sin that still lives and operates in your own heart? If you're more focused on the amount of sin in another person's life than the awareness of sin in your own heart, you may be suffering from legalism. But then we also see a contrast between Simon and Jesus. The biggest difference? Listen to this carefully and don't miss it. Simon saw the woman for what she had been, really what she had done. Jesus saw the woman for what she was. That, that should move you, because it moves me. Can, can I tell you this morning, Jesus sees me not for what I was or what I've done. Jesus sees me for who I am. Say, Pastor, who are you? I'm a sinner forgiven by the grace of God. I'm a sinner justified through the blood of the Lamb. I am righteous today because I always do the right thing and act according to God's character. I am righteous today because when I came to Jesus in faith, his righteousness was given to me. Today, if you open the record books of heaven, you don't see of sins, a list of temptation, a list of lust. Today, if you open the record books, next to my name, you say, account paid in full and credited with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful today that Jesus doesn't see me for who I was, what I've done. He sees me for who I am. That's the difference between Simon and Jesus in this text. Simon was focused on what this woman had done. Notice that he says, if this man knew who this is and what she did, Jesus knew perfectly well. But Jesus wasn't focused on who she was and what she had done. Jesus was focused on who she was then. The difference 
was caused by what guided their approach to the woman. Simon was guided by legalism. Jesus was guided by love. Friends, can I ask you today, how, how do you view and approach yourself? Pastor, what do you mean by that? You know, we can approach ourselves legalistically. We can get overwrought and overwhelmed with who we were, what we've done, how we've failed, how we've sinned. And when we get overwhelmed and overwrought by that, and we live in guilt and defeat over it, friends, that is not of God. That sin is under the blood of Jesus. Can I remind you, when you trusted Jesus as your Savior, He not only forgave what you had done, He forgave what you would do. How do you view and approach others? I'll tell you, I, I've heard it. I've seen it. I was amazed even as I, as I visited with Glenn and Janice yesterday afternoon to hear just their testimony of what they've even seen in churches that they've been a part of, even visited here in our, our community, and people's response to other people, people's focus or view of others. Friends, if we truly believe that God has called us to be guided by love, And God help us when we begin to decide who and who we will not reach out to. God forgive us when we decide that, that, that somebody is, is just beyond the scope of my, my ability to help or, or my even call to help because of, of the lifestyle or because of the behavior, the activities that they're involved with. God help us when we turn away from the drug addict or the prostitute or, or whoever it may be and whatever they may do because we don't want to get our hands dirty. We don't want that kind of people sitting in the chair next to us in the church house. I'm glad that Jesus didn't look at the woman and say, get out of here, you don't deserve to be in my presence. Well, friends, let's be careful. And then I want you to see, thirdly, the response to the Savior. Simon and the woman responded to the Savior very differently, didn't they? I mean, Simon, look at his response back in verse number 39. When the Pharisee which had been him saw it, saw the woman and what she had done, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Notice that Simon now is not even ready to give Jesus the title prophet. 
He certainly doesn't see him as Israel's promised Messiah. He doesn't see him as the Savior. He now won't even look at him as a prophet. If this man really were a prophet, he doesn't see him that way. He doesn't believe in Jesus. And isn't it ironic how Simon thinks Jesus doesn't even know who this woman is and what she's done, that Jesus reads the heart of Simon perfectly? The very next verse, Jesus knows what Simon's thinking and responds to him accordingly. Exactly what Simon said Jesus can't do with this woman, Jesus did with them. Jesus' response to the woman left, Simon thinking Jesus wasn't a prophet, wasn't the Messiah, his response to the Savior meant that he would not enjoy the blessing the Savior poured out on the woman. Well, what did the woman receive because of her response to Jesus? Look at verse 47. Wherefore I say unto thee, Jesus is now speaking to the woman, her sins, which are many, are what? Forgiven. She's forgiven. Friends, if this woman could be forgiven, so can you. You and I might have the tendency to think, no, my sin is too great. Your sin is never too great. You and I might have the tendency to think somebody else's sin is too great. They're too far gone. No, they aren't. How little of a view we have of our Savior when we live and think that way. No one is beyond his saving power. She was forgiven. Jesus himself identified her multitude of sins, didn't he? Her sins which are many. Jesus knew the amount of her sin, but the amount of her sin was not too great for him. Praise the Lord for that. The multitude of her sins could not match the magnitude of his mercies. Friends, the same is true of you and of everyone you and I come in contact with. Every sin can be forgiven and will be if you come to Jesus. Notice not only that, but look at verse 50. She received salvation and he said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. Now earlier in the passage, you might think that Jesus forgives her because of her love for him. But that's not the case and the, the scripture makes it clear here. She was not forgiven and saved because she loved Jesus so well. She was forgiven and saved because of what? Faith. We don't know when this woman heard Jesus speak. We don't know where she heard him speak. But this woman had clearly seen Jesus' work. She had clearly seen him teach. And she came to him in faith. I don't know how much she understood about the work he would do. Dying on the cross, being buried, and rising again. I don't know how much she understood in that sense about the Messiah at that point. But this woman believed she came to Jesus in faith, 
knowing that he was what she needed. He was the answer for her brokenness. He was the answer for her sin. He was the answer for her condemnation. He was the answer for for her being ostracized from the Jewish religious elite. He was the answer and she believed. And Jesus says because she had believed she was saved. To be saved is to be delivered. Sin necessitates God's justice and judgment. All are sinners and all stand in debt to the justice and judgment of God. But Jesus came as the sacrifice to atone. The sinner stands deserving and the deserved penalty is eternal separation from God. But that woman knew the answer. The answer was Jesus. And in coming to Jesus in faith, she received salvation. Friends, listen to me carefully. Coming to Jesus happens only through faith. You can't come to Jesus, you can't come to God by any other road. Like the the man once told me when I knocked on his door and asked him if he knew he'd go to heaven someday, he said, well, it's kind of like this. We start at point A, we're trying to get to point B. You and I might take a different route, but we both end up at point B. Friends, it doesn't work that way with heaven. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, and the ends thereof are the ways of death. Men can have a lot of different ideas about how to come to God, but all of man's ideas end in the same place. It's not at God, it's at death. There is one way, there is one truth, there is one life eternal, and it is found in Jesus. To believe that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of God. To believe that he died for sin in your place. That he was buried and rose again the third day. That is to come to Jesus through faith. Have you come to Jesus through faith? Have you believed that he's the Savior, the Son of God, who died for your sin in your place, was buried and rose again the third day? friend watching online have you come to jesus that way you might be here in the states you might be in kenya you might be somewhere else have you come to jesus by faith if not today is the day that he's inviting you to come and believe and be saved and then i want you to see thirdly she also experienced peace Verse number 50, he said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. What a wonderful truth that when we come to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation, we are blessed with peace. Peace with God. We're not at war anymore. We're not enemies anymore. When you come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, you are regenerated to life, adopted into the family of God by the Spirit of God. You belong to Him. He is your Father. The Father, like Psalm 103 described, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, 
who graciously, mercifully, long-sufferingly responds and interacts with his children, who knows what you are and loves you anyway. And you also have access to the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. For any time you go through those problems and toils and troubles of life, you have access to this peace. What do we call this? Forgiveness, salvation, peace. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Listen to me, friends. The gospel is not only for the sinner who needs the Savior. The gospel is for the sinner who already has the Savior. You need the gospel, too. You need to remember the gospel. You need to be preached to the gospel. You need to preach to yourself the gospel. We all need the gospel day by day by day by day. An evangelist contemporary, his name is Matt Brown. I read this statement from him just this past week. He said these words, too many believers think the good news is old news. But we haven't heard the gospel too much. We haven't heard it enough. Like many facets to a beautiful diamond, the gospel has an infinite beauty that can never be exhausted. The more we look into the gospel, the stronger and more satisfied we will be in our faith. We need regular reminders of all God has done for us in the gospel because the gospel fuels and motivates our desire to obey God and to serve him. When we see how much he has done, how much he has given us in his son, we cannot help but be changed and motivated to give him our whole lives. And even while we are weak and feeble sinners struggling to follow a perfect savior, the gospel reminds us how loved we are and how much God is working in us to help us follow him. There is no greater need in your Christian life than regularly reminding your own heart of the truth of the gospel. Aren't you thankful today that it was love and not a spirit of legalism that drove God the Father? Aren't you thankful today that it was love and not a spirit of legalism that drove Jesus the Savior? Aren't you glad today that the fruit of the Spirit is love, not legalism? And yet, sometimes, we get caught up in being directed, guided, geared by and toward legalism rather than love. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, identify for yourself is love or legalism the spirit in which I live and serve and love? Learn from Jesus' response in Luke chapter 7. And if legalism is present, repent of it and ask God to help you to live in love. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, what Jesus offered this woman 
the multitude of whose sins was many, if he could offer her forgiveness, salvation, and peace, he can do the same for you. The multitude of your sins might be many. The magnitude of his mercies is even more. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Right here in this auditorium today. How is God speaking to you, your heart? If you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, what is it that's guiding your life? Is it love or is it legalism? Your response to service, your response to sinners, your response to the Savior can all give you an indication of what it is that's directing and guiding your life. If there is a spirit of legalism present in our lives individually, in our church, today's the day for us to repent of it. Are you a believer in Christ? whether here in this auditorium today or those watching by way of the internet, God has spoken to your heart about the gospel which was presented. And do you know or you fear that you don't know Jesus? That you're not saved? He's extending his hand of love to you. He's giving you this invitation to come and believe. To put your faith in him and his finished work for your salvation. Don't let this invitation slip away. Those of you here in the auditorium, if you need Christ, you can come and let me know. Those of you watching by way of the internet, you can send us a message and just say, I, I don't know Jesus. I need, I need someone to share with me from God's word how I can know Christ today. And we'll respond and do that. 